Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. It's Thursday. That means it's time, once again, for the MMA weekend preview. Yes. UFC is now going to be sharing the weekend with the PFL. PFL back after a short hiatus as they gave their fighters time to ring. Yeah, a couple weeks off. (laughs) As they look to make the final push for the PFL playoffs. Um, So a lot of big fights to talk about there. We have a UFC card out of Austin, Texas. Is it Austin, correct? Yep. Um, Everything's bigger in Texas. Nobody fucks with Texas. (laughs) You know, all that, all that deal. Whatever the gift was you sent of Sandy Cheeks. Oh, yeah, Sandy Cheeks. That one made me laugh a little bit today. Um, But Dominic... I want to get your thoughts here. Of course, I'm going to ask you how you're doing, uh-huh. even though you never asked me. But um, anyways, uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But I am going to ask you how you're doing. And also, I just want to get your thoughts off the top on the UFC card itself. And now that we're halfway through the year, right, mm-hmm. and we've seen some of these fight nights back in person, does it feel like when we're the UFC is on the road – whether it be to Columbus, London, Austin, whatever the fight night card might be, that they're putting a little extra oomph into these cards than they do when they get their their version of working from home at the Apex. Yeah, I'd say so. I think they have to have a bit of, not even pressure, I don't think the UFC feels much pressure, but just like the pressure to deliver when you're packing an arena with 15, 18, 20,000 people. You know, you want to have as good of fights as possible for you know what fighters are available this this card coming up ufc also know dare i say this is our type of card here obviously we're hardcores we talk about this for hours on end every week we love every card yes exactly but this card like again only two ranked fighters so you may think oh on paper two ranked fighters that's it there's 14 fights dig into these fights there's 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 veterans obviously in the coming event we're going to talk about there's young rising up and comers there's so many implications on all these fights uh there there's a lot of digging to be done there's a lot of storylines to be told we love these types of cards and we're going to surprise a lot of people by how many we're going to break down in this episode i think but they all are going to deserve their shine Mm -hmm. you know i completely agree completely agree i do think the ufc does um, I think what I think though it's not necessarily that they, I mean I, I think they do have a legit interest in you know putting on good shows for right. fans. I mean, the UFC prides themselves on being this live experience. You have to go to a live if it's in your town. Um, but I do think that what I'm noticing is these Apex cards just they they're definitely quite a bit less in quality compared to these yeah. cards that we're getting back in person. So a hierarchy forming here where, you know, now the Apex cards are kind of like the, that's like the bottom dwelling cards. And right. then you get the Fight Night cards at a venue Traveling. that's not yeah. the Apex that are like pretty good. Yeah. And then you get pay-per-view cards where they obviously put like multiple title fights. Right. And, you right. Know, big high profile bouts. So a hierarchy is forming. I'm loving, though, that like over the next few weeks, Tom, throughout the summer into even the fall, you know, we're getting a lot more cards kind of traveling around. You know, we'll, mm-hmm. have, we'll be talking a little bit about some updates to like UFC Paris. You got the second London card coming up. Uh, 
we're going to Utah for UFC 278. That's looking yeah. better and better. We'll be Long Island a little bit today. Long Island, yeah. So, I mean, again, like you said, we're never really. I try. I I I don't want to speak for you, but I do try to make a, an effort to be as critical as I can. You know, because I recognize how much I love the UFC and yeah. the product itself, but I want to give a fair shake to our audience out of respect for them and for their time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just gush over everything yeah. because, you know, <laughs> of course that would be my first go-to, yeah. but I want to give people the right, sway people the right way. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, of course. But, um, yeah, and obviously this card is great. I actually would argue, Dom, of course there's some names on here that, you know, people might have to dig a little bit more into to figure out why there are great fights. But I would argue if you're a fan, if you consider yourself a UFC or MMA fan, and you look at this card from top to bottom and your immediate reaction isn't to go, wow, this is great, then I would suggest you need to do a little bit more digging or you need to spend a little bit more time watching because I Definitely. think a real, a real fan of this sport and of this company loves this card. I mean, yes. That's how I feel about it, and it does start with our main event. But first, let me plug some social media. Of course. Uh, you can find our podcast on Twitter and Instagram at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, it's that little link right above. Well, it's not really a link, but it's That'd be cool, at, though. Yeah, it would be. That's the <laughs> at right above Dominic's noggin. Mm-hmm. You can also find us on TikTok out there at BAJ underscore MMA podcast as well. As far as our personal Twitter and Instagrams, you can find Dominic at Diesley14 and me at NTBaker underscore. Yes. Anything else before I hop right in, Dom? Dive in the deep end, my friend. Our main event in the featherweight division. We'll see Calvin Cater making his second go in a main event this year. He opened our 2022 uh, fight nights with his... Yep comeback fight against Giga Chikadze where he got a five-round decision victory and he's back here in the main event taking on Josh Emmett. Now Calvin Cater is a minus 235 favorite, a pretty good-sized favorite going up against Josh Emmett, a near 2-1 to one underdog. And I, I think our discussion actually will start there, Dominic. Again, we, we recognize betting odds are in place just to try to convince people to bet money in that direction. Right. So they're not really meant to I don't know. They're not meant to do what we're going to do here, but I just think it's more fun that way. Do these odds portray accurately the fight in your eyes? Is it it a fight where, despite number four versus number seven, a lot of stakes for both guys, maybe a competitive bout, but one that is a very tall task and uphill battle for a guy like Josh Emmett to make right now, considering how good Calvin Cater looked in his last fight and just maybe any sort of discrepancies you see in their overall talent? Yeah, I mean, you kind of mentioned it right there. I think that's the biggest factor in play with these odds, and that's Calvin Cater's last performance against Giga Chikadze. Not a lot of people thought he was going to go in and win that fight. Giga was really riding high, undefeated in the UFC, just on a tear, right? And then he outclassed him and put a beating on Giga for five straight rounds. That is 100% uh, a factor in him being a minus 235. Now, he still should be the betting favorite, in my opinion, definitely. Um, Josh Emmett had a long layoff. He came back uh, earlier this year, or I was at the end of last year, sorry, in November. Looked good, but, you know, when you don't see someone for a long time, when they tear an ACL, that's a bad injury to come back from. 
Uh, but I do think Emmett is going to be overlooked by the vast majority of the general public that are going to watch this card. That plus 190 is going to probably steer some people away. Maybe some people that are, you know, have watched longer, have seen more Josh Emmett's career will pounce on it. So overall, Cater should be the favorite. Minus 235 is definitely juiced up just a bit based on his master class performance that he had uh, in January, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, if you compare their last performances, you've obviously Calvin Cater sticks out a little bit more. Right. Uh, Calvin Cater with that dominating win over Giga Chikadze, kind of on the short list right now for performance of the year, Yes, in my opinion. And you got to put Calvin Cater in the comeback of fighter of the year category as well, considering the beating he yeah. took. He was at the reverse end of historic beating uh, against Max Holloway. I saw a stat, Dominic, floating around Twitter. I don't remember the source, so I apologize to that uh, individual or uh, whoever it was. 40% of the significant strikes that Calvin Cater has absorbed in his UFC career were from the hands of Max Holloway. I mean, listen, that's one of the best performances of all time for a reason. That's a mind-boggling that, stat. He's had 10 UFC fights. Yeah, before. he's had 10 I mean, fights. Yeah, and all great fights, too, for the most yeah, part. So Yeah. Um, while for Josh Emmett, the win over Dan Ige, solid win. But I don't remember much from that fight. I don't know if you do, but I felt like uh, Josh Emmett did what he needed to do to win. He fought a smart fight. I mean, a good performance against a tough opponent in Dan Ige, but not a ton to take away from him. Exactly. However, when you go through the rest of Josh Emmett's resume, especially like his last, his previous three performances before that, not that story at all. Very exciting finishes and great fights. His fight with Shane Burgos, the fight that made him tear his ACL or whatever happened to his knee that put him out for so long, was an underrated fight that should have been in the fight of the year discussion for really anybody. It was a co-main event on, I think it was uh, Jessica I, Cynthia Calvillo card or something like that. It was in one of those cards that like kind of went under, or maybe it might have even been um, Curtis Blades, Alexander Volkov or something. One of those cards that just kind of faded away as soon as it came, you know. Yeah. But it was a absolute just war. War. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, no surprise when you consider Shane Burgos, Josh Emmett yes. in a fight. Yeah. Before that though, Josh Emmett destroyed Mirsad Bekdik. Destroyed Michael Johnson with the right hand. Yep. Um, just knocking him out cold. That was nasty uh, knockout. <laughs> yeah. It was and Michael Johnson was actually winning that fight up until yeah. that point. But yeah. I do think Josh Emmett, when you look at the run he's been on, he's 4-1 and one in his last five fights, four straight victories at that. Um, he's a great striker, great power behind the strikes. Yes. Yeah. But also, he's very – he's got a really high accuracy with his strikes as well. So he's not just a power puncher that's winging, you know, right. these looping right hands. I mean, he's he's got a lot of malicious intent behind some accurate strikes. Now, do I think his striking is at the level of Calvin Cater Cater and the New England cartel? Probably not. I mean, Calvin Cater, one of the best boxers in the entire UFC. Mm -hmm. Um, But Josh Emmett, I think, may have the more well-rounded game. Like, I think if you consider, like, wrestling and what he can do there. We definitely, I think we've seen more of it, you know, from him, you know. Maybe so, and it's been against weaker competition at least mm-hmm. up to this point. You know, the best win for Josh Emmett is against Dan Ige, while for Calvin Cater, the Giga win, the 
Jeremy Stevens' win was impressive in the fashion it happened. I would even argue his losses to beat Magomed Sheripov yep. due to how close he made that fight in the end is up there on these guys if you compare their performances up to this point. He's um, had a war with Burgos and knocked him out in the third that's round. That's true, yes. That, that's even further back. Um I think what you're getting here with these two is a fight that will mostly be fought on the feet, but one where Calvin Cater is going to have to respect. Oh, yeah. Josh Emmett, solid wrestler, could really go for a takedown at the right time. But if this fight stays standing, you've got to give the edge to Cater, but I think the odds are severely skewed yeah. in how I view this fight. I think that Josh Emmett has got a lot to gain from a win here. He doesn't have the loss that Calvin Cater has to Max Holloway, that loss that just kind of, it's, it's it's a bad one, right? Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. yes, Emmett got knocked out by Jeremy Stevens in his first main event, which should maybe be a bigger blemish on his resume, but I think it's kind of faded away due to really the time off he's taken in between some of his wins. And, you know, I think now he's almost like a man reborn on this win streak. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but I have a hard time, Dominic, seeing a finish here despite the fact that both guys are so capable of putting the lights out at any moment, Josh Emmett having that one-punch power, Calvin Cater having the the technical boxing to really put someone away. Yeah. But Dominic, both guys, 10 UFC fights, both of them six decisions in those 10 UFC fights. And Aaron Bronstetter came with the fact on Twitter that I thought was very interesting. Since 2019, I believe, the beginning of 2019, only one top 10 featherweight has been finished. Well, sorry, I'm kind of wording that weird. There's only been one featherweight in the top 10 who's been finished in a fight, and that was the Korean Zombie against Volkanovski. No shit. Really? No other, t- no other current top 10 featherweight has been finished in the last three years. That's, that is an You're, awesome stat. Wow. Alexander Volkanovski, Volkanovski, Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, um, Yair, Yair Rodriguez. Then you got Beast the Korean Zombie who did get knocked or finished by Volk. You got Arnold Allen, yep. these two. You got uh, Bryce Mitchell in the top ten, and I believe uh, Mozar is the the last one in the top ten now. So, wow. but even if you include Dan Ige, who yep. was in the top ten, he's never been finished. He's never been finished. And then behind him is Sadiq Yusuf at number twelve. Never been like, finished. <laughs> wow. This this featherweight division, I mean, they pride themselves, whether we realize it or not, on their stability and on their ability to take a shot. So Man. you you got you got a war in front of you, I think, Dom. Yeah. But I don't see a finish here at all. I think these guys are gonna go for broke for five rounds and we're in for a treat. Yeah, I, I believe so. I think this is going to be a very good fight. It could be a fight of the night contender. It could be a fight of the year contender. These guys are prone to those types of performances. Yeah, like you said, man, Emmett's got the one-punch power that Cater does not possess, but Cater's got the punches and bunches and the precision and the technical just abilities that he can uh, do on the feet is amazing. It's, it's going to be a good fight. Big implications. I mean, you know, man, Calvin Cater has a lot of attention lately because of the max loss, but then also his great win against Giga. Josh Emmett, yes, he had the layoff, and I understand he, he had the uh, injury, but the four-fight win streak, an overall record of 17-2, and 8-2 in the UFC. I mean, this dude is super slept on, and if he can come out here and beat Cater, he launches himself right in there with the elite of this division, the opportunity that he's always kind of wanted but never really gotten until right now. This is an awesome fight. 
Let me ask you a question about this main event before we move on. Since we're kind of talking about what's at stake and how there is a lot at stake for both guys, who gains more with the win here? No matter the fashion it happens, whether it be decision, knockout, whatever, do you feel like either guy here could potentially, with a big win, maybe, just maybe, catch the eye of the winner of Volkanovski-Holloway? I think so. I think for Cater, a win in general puts him next in line, for, and uh, especially if he were to get a finish. But if Emmett comes out and can finish Calvin Cater when a guy like Max Holloway couldn't, even though he threw a million strikes, dude, he's going to catapult into number four, five wins in a row against good names. You could definitely make an argument that he gets a title fight as well if he wins. I actually think it's the opposite. Fun. Really? So I'm glad, okay. glad that you presented that because don't get me wrong, Calvin Cater's first that win against Giga. I mean that that was big. That, that turned the tide a lot. But I, I still Max Law sticks with a lot of people. So if Max get wins the title, you run that fight back. If Calvin Cater wins, if Volkanovski wins, you have a better chance of convincing, you know, of making that a convincing fight for Volk to take against Cater. But I yeah. think that loss against Max is going to hold back any decision makers in the UFC, Dana and the boys, as I'm going to call them, from committing to him in a title picture. I think they, if if Calvin Cater comes out here and wins, no matter the fashion it's in, I think the UFC is looking at that Yair Brian Ortega fight a little bit more closely, especially if Yair gets a win there. However, I think Josh Emmett with a win just might be able to get himself a title fight off of this. Mm. And um, it, it would be an interesting resume to give someone a title fight with, having Calvin Cater and Dan Ige as kind of your two best wins. Maybe not the resume at featherweight that you would normally want to see to kind of earn a title fight. Mm-hmm. But the five-fight win streak, every time he comes out, he's he's looking to put on a show. He, you know, Dan Ige fight notwithstanding. Um and, you know, I think that uh, – I just think that he would have the edge over a lot of these guys at the top because the winner of Ortega-Yair is – they're both coming off losses. So the winner will be – that will be their first win, Yeah. you know, before coming off a loss. And for Cater, if he obviously wins this, that makes it two in a row for him. But uh, as long as Evan wins this fight, I mean, he has the win streak – and he's fresh. He's the fresh uh, yes. face. Yes, and I think that matters almost more than anything else because no matter who's the champion after July 2nd, is it July 2nd? Yeah, yeah. July 2nd. Calvin Cater, Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, they have at least fallen victim to one of these two guys. Volkan yeah, they're like Max. a third party at the least, you know. And since everybody looks at Vulcan Max as like 1A and 1B. Yeah. I think you're right. Josh Emmett, the fresh face, can jump right in there and be like, well, you haven't seen a guy like me. Now, he is 37 years old. I think that plays plays a factor, too. But, I mean, he's not really fighting like it. Like, sure, he's been injured, had that layoff, but he's not fighting like an old man. Yeah, and let us not forget that the UFC, according to Ariel, was at one point working on Max versus Josh Emmett. Mm, so there's true. a little bit of that there, that the UFC's interested in that matchup. Uh, you're right, man. He 
there could be more at stake for Josh for sure in terms of like an easier an easier route to the title should he win compared to Cater. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the co-main event. There'll be more on that main event later when we get into the betting side, but yeah, that's right. We're still talking about betting people. We're back with the betting. Come on. No, no, <laughs> can't put a good man down. <laughs> yeah. Can't keep a good guy down. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, this was the co-main event. We were supposed to actually get this fight at UFC 274. Yeah. Uh, it was the 11th yeah. hour. This fight got canceled. Donald Cerrone taking on Joe Lozon. I'm, I'm happy that this fight is still happening, and I'm happy that this fight is happening with a real audience here in Austin, Texas, rather than having it at like the apex. This is likely going to be Donald Cerrone's retirement fight. It may very well be Joe Lozon's retirement fight as well. Um, I'm pretty sure win or lose for either guy, this could be it. These are two guys that have, you know, they're Joe Lozon, maybe less than Donald Cerrone, but both guys kind of legends in their own right. BMFs, uh, yes. You know, the two guys that fought anybody and everybody, they've been around for a long time. Joe Loza fighting in the UFC back in, you know, his very first fight in the UFC was against Jens Pulver, the very OG lightweight champion in the UFC. And fun fact, Jens Pulver was also Joe Lozon's coach on The Ultimate Fighter. Wow. So kind of an interesting uh, dynamic there, knocking out his coach. Uh, his debut for the UFC. Um, your thoughts on this fight? Again, it's not been a great time to be Cowboy Cerrone. He's 0-5-1 and in his last six fights. Yeah. Um, Joe Lozon, I think a little bit better, 2-3 and three in his last five. Uh, but just the activity, I think this is his first fight since like 2019 or October 2020. October 19, yeah. Yeah, so he, he's got one foot out the door, you know, so to speak. But your thoughts on this fight, is this a fight that you're in support of happening or are you kind of like, I don't know if I like seeing these two guys, you know, fighting at this age when really they probably shouldn't be? Yeah, if it's going to be a swan song, I think this is a perfect matchup. Uh, These two guys, you know, the UFC wanted to put them in front of fans. These two deserve it. Dare I say they deserve the co-main event slot on this card, man. These are Mm -hmm. legends. These are bad motherfuckers, as Noah said. You know, Donald Cerrone tied still for the record for most wins, most finishes, most bonuses. He's still up there, people. Uh, But he's 39. Joe's 38. You know, Cowboy debuted in February of 2011. Joe Lozon in September of 2006. It's crazy just how long these guys have been fighting the top of the top, you know, during those time periods all the way to today. Both guys obviously on long layoffs. Joe Lozon almost three years. I think it's a fun fight. I think it's super fan-friendly. These guys have always been that way. But when you pair them together, uh, I think it's fireworks. I think there's makings for a good performance. Uh, Obviously, I don't want to see someone come in and get just absolutely starched. But if you're going to get starched, at least it's by a fellow OG. Not some young up-and-comer that's going to just think he's hot shit after knocking out the old guy. It's two legends, one-on-one. Never fought before, by the way, which is mind-blowing. Joe Lozon has 37 fights in the UFC. Cowboy has 37 fights in the UFC. Or, I'm sorry, Joe has 27. Cowboy has 37. But they've never fought each other. That's wild. So, I love everything about it. What are the chances that this fight really... What's the chances that it does turn out to be kind of a one-sided beating from one of these two guys? Because you look at it on paper. If you if you combine both of their last five fights, there's only three decisions in those ten fights. Two of them for Lozon. And those were his 
first two of that five. So you're probably dating back five years at that point. Yep. Cerrone had that draw with Nico Price that later became a no contest because of the Mary Jane. <laughs> yep. But um, outside of that, I mean, it's been not exactly that. A lot of TKO losses for these guys. You know, for Lozon's credit, you know, a TKO win in his last time out against Jonathan Pierce. That's a good opponent, man, to get a That's win. That's a good like win. That. that was Jonathan Pierce. I believe that was his debut in the UFC. He took that on like super short notice, but it was mm-hmm. like a first minute, first round TKO. So, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's an interesting win to kind of have there at the tail end. But what are the chances that this fight is like kind of a, that surprises us and maybe it's just like a super competitive, super just you know whether it's a war or you know like a a very competitive kickboxing fight whatever what are the chances that it's actually competitive and it's not someone getting starched or getting destroyed so there's like two opposite spectrums if lozon comes out guns a blazing like he likes to do gets out of there early a lot of opponents in the first round donald cerrone historically a poor starter lozon could come in and surprise a lot of people and start cerrone early or Cerrone can really come on strong. I'd say latter half of the second round, definitely the third round. So the sweet spot for a finish and a competitive bout is like the middle of round two where we're going to see both guys at their best, man. But I, I think, you know, again, there's not like a ton of takeaways from this fight regardless of what happens because it's the end of the road for both guys probably. But I'm just going to kind of soak it in. You know, it's one of those fights that you don't see too often, really, for guys that are retiring they're getting put out by younger guys. They're getting knocked out, submitted, whatever the case. That's not what it is here in Austin, Texas. I mean, especially for me, for Cowboy Cerrone, I mean. Friend of the show, is... technically, you know. We met him. Oh, yeah, that's true. We did meet him. We did meet him. And, you know, it was such a joy to kind of watch that dad Cerrone run. Oh, man, that was, that was crazy. I mean, he really made a believer out of us, you know. Yeah. He was going into that fight with Tony Ferguson at UFC mm-hmm. 238. Eight. Yep. I mean, that fight was not looked at as like it was going to be a one-sided beatdown. Now, Tony ended up doing what Tony does, and then there was that weird thing in between rounds. Cerrone tried to blow his nose, and then his eye exploded. <laughs> up. Yeah. But um, what a career, you know? Mm-hmm. Never mm-hmm. won the big one, but, I mean, damn, man. He, he got as close as you can, dude. Yeah, he won, the, he won the hearts of every fan out there. So, I mean, yeah. that's got to count for something. Absolutely. Uh, more on this fight to come later, and more on this card, but we're actually going to transition into the PFL, Dominic, week four of their regular season. This is kind of our, we had a little bit of a break after the first three weeks, the first round matchups, if you will, uh, for our, how many divisions are we? do we have? There's six, six total divisions, yeah. Yeah, so two E for each card, that makes sense. So um, here we're back with the lightweights and the light heavyweights. Yep. And really, Dominic, your your headline is carved with Clay Collard, who you know we, everybody's kind of on Clay Collard's hype train now after the war he had with Jeremy Stevens at the very first PFL event. You know, I think it was the first one of the yep. season. That main event. I mean, it's on my fight of the year yes. list right now. And uh, Clay Collard just even dating back to last season when he surprised everybody by beating Anthony Pettis and Mm -hmm. the wars he was in that season. I mean, the guy is really one of the, he is up there. If you're going on the PFL's roster, who's like the must see guys, he's at the top. Yeah. Um, Especially now that you have a guy like, uh, who's uh, now I can't remember his name that 
uh, the gentleman who missed weight for the PFL that uh, oh Ray Cooper, Ray Cooper the third, yeah. a guy like him who was being primed for that spot has kind of yep. fallen short. Yep. You know, someone like Clay Collard is kind of stepping right in to fill that void. He's in the main event against Alex Martinez. Both guys tied for third place in those uh, standings right now. The top four, of course, being the ones that advance to the playoffs. So big implications in this main event, Dom. Co-main event, so our main event for the light heavyweights. Antonio Carlos Jr. tied for first with Omari Akhmadov. Um Six Two points. Things. Yeah, six points. Literally, he's the guy who won last year. He's yep. So he's 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 coming in, primed for another run, and he's taking on Brucey Soto. Fun fact: uh, one of the highlights from my short time watching the Challenger series yep. was the knockout Brucey Soto had. I believe in the very first, I think he was the first contract earner of the show. Um, the you know infamous uh, Challenger series. So. Yep. An interesting fight there, Brucey Soto losing his debut, but um, now he's going up against the number one guy in the division. I, a lot more fights on here, Don, but I just kind of want to get your thoughts on the card as a whole. You know, what fights are sticking out to you? What fighters are you really interested in seeing? As really, this is it for a lot of these guys. They're making the push here. It's it's now or never to get into the playoffs and ultimately get a championship. Yeah, and a lot of pressure, too, in these round two matchups, especially for those that lost in the first round, because at this point, you it's finish or nothing. If you don't get a finish, you're probably not going to get into the playoffs, man, but that point system. So it's going to add a little bit more extra oomph to these fights. The one I'm looking forward to most, though, man, it's Roush Manfio, Olivier Aubon Mercier. That's the one I'm looking forward to the most. Uh, damn it. The betting people did it again because Manfio is a plus one fifty five underdog. When are these people gonna learn? I Wait, I, I don't really. He I is an underdog, that. and we may just have to play a little something something come Friday night. Noah, <laughs> you and I, that's not on the show today because yeah. it's just ridiculous. I, I don't understand it. What more does the guy got to do? He's down on the scorecards in the last fight, get beat up, then knocks the shit out of his opponent in the third round and gets a nasty one. He's undefeated in the PFL. Won it last year as an underdog. All the way through, but for Mercier, don't you know sleep on this guy either. He's three and zero in the PFL since he made the changeover. He's right there in his prime years. Um, you know he's a guy that likes to grind it out. He's always been that way, uh, kind of that UFC French Canadian. Guy. Yeah, fought in the UFC, so that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. I think it's the closest in terms of skill and what we'll see transpire uh, in the cage. That's the one at the top of the list for me. I might get my PFL fan card taken away for asking this question, and I don't expect you to know it, so I, I'm just asking them in case you do. When these guys have, like, a tie in the standings, you know, like right now there's a three-way tie technically in our 155-pound uh, standings because Olivier Albon, Mercier, along with Clay Collard and Alex Martinez all have three points. Yep. Is there a reason why, like, they list Albin Mercier as – fifth place like hmm. is there a tiebreaker for that is there that's I mean, a good question right like there's got to be but i don't know what it is yeah i could see i don't know for sure so i'm just going to speculate a little maybe listeners viewers would know let us know if you do but like in terms of like maybe some of the guys that get finishes when did it happen you know like time wise say there's two guys that have a first round finish but one guy got it 30 seconds sooner quicker. does that come into effect if it's a 29-28 versus a 30-27, if it's a I was also you know? wondering if they might use their uh, that smart cage score, I think. Yeah, they could use that. that they score. Could, 
knowing that PFL, they probably use even strike numbers. I mean, they do all that statistical shit. So I don't know for sure, though. My, I'm going to look at their website later and see if they have But them. basically, I mean, you're right. Aubin Mercier's got a lot at stake. I mean, really, everybody does. But yeah, he's the guy right now that's on the outside looking in. I don't know if that's yes. just because they ran out of spots on the standings. <laughs> but he's the one guy in this division that got a win who's not – in the playoffs right now he's, he can't he doesn't yeah. have that comfort behind him of being like well i gotta win my first time out right, that, right. That, there's none of that here and rosh manfio is just this the supreme underdog every time this guy's an underdog yeah. he's getting victories left and right and now here he is again in an underdog role um i look for that fight to be great i'm going to give two that i'm really looking forward to one that's probably more obvious than the other Jeremy Stevens versus Miles Price. I mean, Jeremy Stevens seeing him back. I want it, it's. I mean, this is a lot like the position where Anthony Pettis was in last season, and guys like that, where he's this big signing for the PFL. His debut was great, outside the yes. fact that he lost. Right. But now it's like, okay, you had this amazing fight your first time out, but now you got to kind of deliver on the goods and get yeah. a win. Yeah. And put it together for three whole rounds. And, you know, I mean, I would even say, I mean, he needs a finish. He has zero points he has right to. now. Yeah. He's got to look to get a finish here, even though it's a little bit easier right now for the lightweights compared to the light heavyweights because you got three guys who got decision victories in their first round matchups. Light heavyweight, I think there's only one guy who is in fifth place that had a decision victory. So. Yeah. It's a little bit easier maybe to get a decision and be like, okay, maybe I'm comfortable. But when you had a loss your first time out, it's just – it's a, That's I tough, don't know. man. I, I don't remember what the standings were like last season or the season before, but I would doubt that anybody got in there with three points. So, right, right. Um, a finish is about necessary for Jeremy Stevens if he wants to make good on that deal he got from the PFL. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to mention Martin Hamlet taking on Josh Silvera. I like Martin that one. Martin Hamlet, he's the guy on the outside looking in at 205. He's the only guy that didn't get a finish victory, got a decision victory in his first-round matchup. But the reason I'm interested, Josh Silvera making his debut here, Dom. Josh Silvera is the guy that um, was on one of the first episodes of Challenger Series who was like a huge favorite. Everybody thought he was going to get the contract because he was the double champion from LFA. Oh, okay. He ends up not getting the contract, but did still get brought in later anyways to be on the show. He was not able to fight on the first card. I forget. He had like an injury or something, had to pull out. So he's making his debut here against Martin Hamlet. Going to be time. He's got to make up for lost time there. Got to really, again, try to get a finish because he is coming in here with zero points. Yeah, man, only having one fight when all these other guys are getting two. You talk about pressure to try and make the playoffs. But if he comes in and finishes Hamlet, who's had – I think he had a pretty decent season last year even. He was in the playoffs at least. That would be huge for a debut. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, anything else on this card before we uh, move on? Uh, I think we checked it all off. Yeah, that will be on Friday, by the way. Yep. I believe yep. it starts at 5.30, 6.30. As long as they make their pacings good, please. Yeah, I mean, it's been good this season. <laughs> it's gotten we'll better. Say, yeah, yeah. I, I gotta, I gotta give them credit because, yeah. boy, I mean, the championships last season. I mean, Dominic, do you remember that those championships literally started at like four o'clock and ended at midnight? I mean, it was like yeah. eight hours. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which, you know, hey, I love fights, right? You know, I, I like watching fights, but, I mean, come on, man. Yeah. yeah. Eight hours. Like, really? Too I much. Just, yeah. Let's, 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 let's stay a little bit shorter than that. How about that? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, great for the PFL. Glad they're back. Now let's get into a couple things we missed, a couple smaller news stories here. But this one feels pretty big if you're, you know, massive fans like we are. It's being reported, Dom, that Zabit Magomed Sharipov, at one time top-ranked featherweight. When we started this podcast almost two years ago, yeah. we were speculating on if uh, him and Yair, when their fight fell out, if Zabit might be able to get a title fight right away without mm-hmm. even having to fight his way to it. Uh, he's announced his retirement from the sport, Dom. Now, you, you, pro, you proposed a question on Twitter when you sent this to our group. So I'm going to propose it to you here on the show because I want to get your thoughts on it. Is this going to go down? If if this retirement sticks, yep. is Zabit the biggest what-if in UFC history in your mind? Man, he's got to be up there, man. I mean, you look at the potential of this guy. 31 years old, just now in his prime. 18-1. and one. He was 6-0. and oh. In the UFC, just getting going, had that awesome I mean, fight with Calvin Cater. All electric fights. I mean, yeah, even man. Fights were, yeah, you'd be expected. Like Brandon Davis and him had like an absolute banger of a fight. Like he's, and he wouldn't be getting like it's not because like Brandon Davis is like beating the shit out of him. It's just even when he would be in these dominating victories, he was still putting on like really fun fights and. Dude, he was was like that. enough vulnerability to where you kind of were like, oh, is Jeremy Stevens perhaps going to have a chance here? Yeah. But, I mean, the dude was, yeah, continue. Dude, he he was that evolution of that Dagestani wrestler. He wasn't just the one-dimensional dominate, grapple you on the ground, you're done. He could strike. He was so Mm -hmm. long and rangy, and he would just throw unique combinations. And, uh, you know, what he would do on the feet uh, was crazy, man. So it's up there. It's got to be. I mean, top – Recency bias, of course, this literally just happened as we're recording this. I'm trying to think of other prospects that retired so I mean, young well, like this. Thinking, I mean, but if you're thinking what ifs, I mean, maybe Fedor being signed to the UFC. Yeah, when you expand on it a little bit, of um, course. I don't know what it, I'm trying to think of. It's got to be like a top if, three man. Zabit yeah, going out. What if, what if Anderson doesn't get that uh, choke on Chael Sonnen at UFC yeah. 117? Like, yeah. Yeah, Tatiana Suarez for me, by the way, still yeah, what if well, right she now. Still, she says she's coming back this fall, yeah. so I mean we've yeah. heard that before, but I, I hope so. I, I'll put it like this, Dom. I think now maybe some people are, because the beat's been out so long, he got removed from the rankings a while ago, and there's been kind of this revisionist history on some of his last few fights, like the fight I mentioned earlier with Calvin Cater, Zabit clearly won that fight. I mean, cl- clearly won yeah. the first yeah. two rounds. But a lot of people hold on to the fact that Calvin came on strong in round three as like um, – Oh, he couldn't and, do it for five. You yeah, know, like – yeah. yeah that, that's where the narrative is sort of shifted on Zabit. And that might be true. I mean, the guy was – supposedly uh, he had like a, an operation on his esophagus to fix some sort of breathing issue he had. Man. Um but I'll put it like this. It's a shame that we'll never get to see mm. him versus Volkanovski or him versus Max Holloway because I understand that most people's knee-jerk reaction right now might be to go, well, he's just, you know, he's going to get – the same thing would happen to him against those two as a Brian Ortega or 
Yair Rodriguez or whoever. I don't know, guys. He was good, I think man. He was that good. I mean, he, yeah. that guy didn't have many holes. No. Not many at all. No. One of the most one of the most well-rounded polished skill sets I've ever seen. And again, I know it was that early long. on, you know, yes, in his career. Yes, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like just he came into the UFC and he was like exceptional everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. It's it a is. Shame. Perfect word. And this is a perfect way to kind of follow that cuz <laughs> We're going from one of the most polished and well-rounded skill sets ever that we've seen in the cage to uh, the opposite of that, Greg Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Hardy, uh, we, he's been out of the news since his release from the UFC. Well, his next chapter has been <clears throat> written, Dom, and it will be under the Bare Knuckle FC banner Woo. on a scale of 1 to 10. How surprising is this announcement? Going to how surprising is it? Mm, ten being like knocking my socks off, and one yeah. not surprising. Yeah, I'll go like mm, a four. I'll go okay. a four, okay. just because you were right. A little bit higher than I thought. It's a little bit higher than I, I thought. I am a bit surprised. There's not like a ton of heavyweights over there. I feel like like he's a big son of a bitch. Greg Hardy's humongous. Well, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if he's their heavyweight champion, but I'm pretty sure Alan Belcher fights a heavyweight for that. Really? Wow. What a Alan Belcher is fucking massive. You should see what he looks like now. He's fucking dude. Huge. He always had those big ass calves and had actually. A, uh... He just had a knockout victory at for at their like fight night show like last weekend. Really? Didn't he have a funky tattoo? A lot of people talked about that. He has the one of the worst tattoos ever. The Johnny Cash tattoo. Yeah, that one. Yeah, the Johnny yeah. Cash portrait. It's really bad. But, nice. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know he's gonna go get some money. Bare knuckle apparently pays out pretty decent money for some of these guys uh he'll probably be an attraction especially for that type of market mm-hmm. you would imagine they they we talked about bare knuckle was it monday monday I yeah think so yeah um about how like why they they recognize their niche you know what i mean yeah. and like they can market really good to get the that audience to watch and that's fine they do their thing uh but to me like you know four on the level of shockingness that he signed there in terms of me and my anticipation for it couldn't be lower so i mean it's whatever but yeah i I get it once you i mean you are you also said like mvp versus mike perry is doing nothing for you (laughs) yeah yeah. afc is just not your thing (laughs) right i admitted that that main event at least sparked a little something like i might like before this, like Paige Van Zandt versus Rachel Ostovich, all that shit, like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't even look at the spark notes, you know, right. I didn't even care. But uh, BKFC, I, I respect BK, and I, I think you painted this very well. And your, I actually respect the way you worded your analysis of Greg Hardy here because it's very easy to just pile on the guy. I get it; he's probably not a good person. I mean, it is what it is, yeah. but. Um, I what I respect about BKFC is like look, I mean Greg Hardy's gotta make a living, right? The guy's yeah. you know, he's he he has a right to do this just like anybody else. And I actually I, I think for BKFC this is a smart decision. I think it's a smart yeah. choice to bring him in. Um again, I don't know if he's a needle mover in the sense of like I don't know how many eyes he's bringing to the product, but you could develop him into something for this promotion. Now I don't know. Like again, I I told I I stand by my analysis of his skill set. I thought in the UFC he was a UFC level heavyweight striker. Yeah. 
that was the, the end. The rest of, of the game yeah. was kind of where it failed him. Right. And BKFC, I mean, there you go. That's all you like, need. <laughs> now, do I? I don't know if he's going to be able to take a, the punishment of not having gloves on. Like, you, there's all that that you just don't know about. But his character, his personality, the, and the fact he's kind of a weirdo, the way he like mm-hmm. talks about himself and whatnot, he kind of fits what BKFC yeah. has really been presenting themselves as. And I kind of respect. I, I like. I actually like the the marriage here. I do. Yeah, it's a good career move for him, like a next step yeah. for sure. And I, but from I remember he was announced like not too long ago, like a week ago, for a, some boxing fight for some like real low level, you know, boxing promoter mm-hmm. thing. But um, I don't know if that's still happening now that he signed here or what. But I mean, BKFC seems to let their guys kind of do whatever they want. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Greg Hardy again. Will we ever probably talk about him fighting there again? Probably not, but you know, you never know. Maybe you guys could, know now. He could he could become BKFC's Mike Tyson for all we know. You never know. Yeah. Uh, let's get into some fight announcements, Dominic. Before we get back into our uh, analysis or previews, the fight announcements really built up over the last couple of days. It starts with Cody Garbrandt supposed to fight on July 9th against Randy Yaya. He is unfortunately out with a neck injury. Yeah, what do you think, Dom? Is Cody Garbrandt going to stay on this card, or do you think he uh, takes his time to find the whether it be rebooking this matchup or looking for a new opponent later down the line? Yeah, I'll be curious. I mean, there's what is that? Just two and a half, three weeks away. That's not a lot of time to get an opponent. Mm-hmm. Maybe they try and keep him on that card. Maybe they'll bump him a couple weeks back, put him on Long Island, maybe or something. I know they're still building up that card, uh, so we'll see. Ronnie Aya, again, was that step back for Cody. We talked about it when it got booked, but it was a step back that we felt was necessary at this point for Cody to kind of just, where are you at in your career? It's a step back for him and a step up for Yaya. Yes. You know, even at his age, is still ultra competitive. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Obviously, to a neck injury for Yaya, hopefully it's nothing too serious. Hopefully he can uh, fight again relatively Mm -hmm. soon. Yeah, I, I don't think Cody's going to stay on this card. I think he just, considering where his career's at, it's probably in his best interest to make sure he's at a full camp and that he has yeah. an opponent he's prepared for each time out from here yeah. on out. Yeah, yeah. Next up, we got a few announcements from Bellator 283 happening on July 23rd. We got our main event announced for the lightweight title. Patricky Pitbull looking to make the first defense of his title against number one contender Sidney Outlaw. And then along with that, you got the Douglas Lima-Jason Jackson fight added to this card and Usman Nurmagomedov on this card fighting Chris Gonzalez. Your thoughts on these uh, three fight announcements? Yeah, that's a great little main card they built up right there. They all announced them together, uh, you know, at the same time. It's going to be exciting to see what Pitbull, the other Pitbull, you know, Patriki can do mm-hmm. as the champion. Can he have a reign much like his brother did? We're going to find out on July 23rd. Lima Jackson, I think, is a super fun fight. Two guys that you know, Lima's obviously been to the top of the game. He's been the champion there. Has Jackson challenged for the title? Do you know in Bellator? Or I, I don't even... think I don't think he has. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure he's a guy that's kind of just came up. Right, right. Recently, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't think he has. No. So I mean, we're talking his chance to get to that position, then beat a former champion in Lima, a seasoned veteran like that, and then obviously when you see the name Nurmagomedov, no matter what organization it's in. 
It's got to spark some interest, and it's the same here with Usman against Chris Gonzalez. I don't know much about the Gonzalez side of things, but we know a lot about the Nurmagomedov side. It's going to be exciting. I mean, is there a more terrifying name to have as an MMA fighter than Usman Nurmagomedov? I mean, terrifying. Literally two top ten goats right there just as your name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I will just say I was kind of surprised by the title fight announcement. I didn't realize Sydney Outlaws, and I'm a ranked I did not know that either. Sydney yeah. Outlaw, 3-1 and one in Bellator. His only loss, funny enough, was a uh, KO loss to Michael Chandler. Um, you know, Michael Chandler, uh, one of the bigger Bellator names ever to do it. Yeah. Um, probably his biggest fight in Bellator up to this point has been against Michael Chandler. Um, he's a great submission threat. Hasn't really showed that in most of his fights here for Bellator. I'm pretty sure his three wins are all via decision. Okay. Um, it's an interesting matchup with Patricky. Patricky really looking to prove that like he's an actual deserving champion. I will just say, and I, I don't mean to crap because this fight is a, it's a good fight, Pitbull versus Outlaw. But Dominic, I will just say, and I and maybe this is something I shouldn't even acknowledge because it's kind of a given. When you compare the, all of the progress Bellator's made to make their product competitive in some ways to the UFC. You know, certain divisions like light heavyweight feel not too far behind what the mm-hmm. UFC offers. It, especially if you go by like the top five or so. Yeah. You know, if they feel competitive. Yeah. Um, lightweight is not that division at all. No. You know, lightweight in the UFC is the premier division of the UFC. Yeah. And for Bellator, I'm looking at their, their, their rankings and it's, uh, you know, now that Patricio has left the division. Uh, AJ McKee might be coming there at some point, but he hasn't made that switch yet. So for now, like, I can't help but feel like this uh, lightweight division, not the strongest for Bellator. And, you know, and maybe that's a good thing for Patricky, too, because you got to think if you are him, there's got to be a little bit of added pressure, right? To live up to what his brother did. Like, how much do you think that plays a factor in what he he, could do? He's always been the other. In the shadow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Still a very good fighter, but yeah, I, I look to see if he can really make a rain out of this because, yep. in some ways, he was kind of not gifted the title. He had to earn it against Peter Queeley, and he did yeah. in Ireland, knocked him out, even, yeah. I think. So um, it was a good win for him, but you know, his brother relinquished the title to even give him the opportunity right. to fight for it. So this would be the win that kind of secures, like, no, he's the champion of this division and deserves to be. Yep. Um, Ooh. UFC 278. Yeah, I See, like were, this one. You could You didn't even wait for me to say it. You're <laughs> like, oh, okay, I got to get it out there. A big fight added for the audience out there in Utah. Nothing <laughs> bad ever happens in Utah is correct. But Dominic, I want to ask you, Jose Aldo taking on Marab Davalishvili, and I can sense your excitement right away. But I do want to ask you a serious question about this fight because I gut reactions, right? We both love it. Yeah, I think that's pretty yeah. clear. Yeah. But when you consider kind of the, the puzzle pieces of all these Bantamweights and we're trying to fit them in, you know, who's going to fight for the title? Is it going to be TJ? Is it going to be Aldo? Who's fighting Peter Yan and his comeback fight? You know, you just had Marlon Vera, Dominic Cruz get matched up together. Did Jose Aldo get the short end of the stick here? Coming off a top five victory against Rob Font, now he's fighting the number six guy in the division, Marab Valishvili. Dude, 
It's tough, man. He is like in a weird spot because he's surging. He's en route to a potential title shot at 135, which is crazy to think about when you consider his career. But he's already lost to Peter Jan for the belt. You know, the the, the TJ fight's there, but TJ's probably going to get the title fight, you know. I Those seem like the only two guys that would get the title fight. It was either TJ or Aldo, so they probably yeah. weren't going to get matched up together, you know. Yeah, very true. So then it's like, well, you look at the rest of the division with the Marlon Vera announcement. Rob Font just recently fought and obviously and lost has lost to Aldo as well. So it's like, well, there's Sanhagen and there's Marab. Marab surging. Sanhagen's elite, but like he's he's losing in the title fight. Kind of, he's just in a weird spot too. We kind of both said Sanhagen should fight back just a little bit. Even him versus Marab, honestly, would have been a sick fight too. I'm pretty sure that's the fight that I think that is what you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, But dude, I was talking about this to our buddy Jake, who watches and stuff and is in our group chats and whatnot. And I was like, man, you look at this division. You give me six names. You, it's like throwing shit at a wall. It's gonna yeah. stick. Whatever it is, it's gonna be. It's gonna be there, and it's gonna be a good fight. And this is no different. Aldo versus Marab. If Aldo wins, he's definitely going to get a title fight from the UFC, 100%. But if Marab comes in with the momentum he's got and beats Jose Aldo, I mean, dude, that, that's another guy that's underrated in my <clears> opinion too. But has an elite skill set. If you beat Jose Aldo into the top three, you go. That's awesome fight. Ooh. Yeah, I think the, there's a lot of intrigue in the X's and O's of this one. because Very you know, much. Everybody knows how good Aldo's looked as of late. But Marab does present that interesting threat of the fact that that dude is relentless with his pressure, with his takedown attempts. I think if that fight stays standing, Marab's in a lot of trouble. I think he's getting beat up. It could be bad, I think, yeah. I think the leg kicks. If, if Aldo comes with a heavy leg kick attack, which he's kind of – hot and cold on you know yeah. ever I, I don't know if he had some injuries build up the guy used to be like the most lethal leg kicker out there but yeah. if he comes with a lot of leg kicks Rob's gonna have a hard time and in, in the boxing I think Rob's gonna have a tough time with it you saw Marlon Marais nearly finish Marab crazy uh, ass not, not too long ago <laughs> yeah that was a great fight but you also saw Rob have that miraculous comeback I'm yes. pro- almost winning around that he nearly got finished in yeah and then finished that fight in round two Aldo, not an easy guy to take down. I don't know what his career takedown defense is, but it's uh, it's got to be very high, very yeah. high. We never see him on the see, ground. Yeah, you never see it happen. And Marav is likely going to want to do that. Can he do it? He has the youth on uh, Aldo a little bit. Yep. It's a great fight. It is. it is. I do feel like in a way, considering that a lot of people thought Aldo should get the title fight over TJ, it is a little surprising that he's fighting Marab instead, but I really, guys, don't think it matters. Like, again, I think all these matchups, like you said, you just throw these guys at the wall and whatever, whoever gets matched up gets <laughs> matched up. Yeah. And I think any one of these guys, I really think the UFC is going to be like, who wants this title fight the most? Like, yes, TJ's going to get it first with Aljo, but after that fight, you got Marlon Barra versus Dominic Cruz. Yep. You got this fight now between Aldo and Marab. And then you got Peter Jan who and Corey Sandhagen still out there. Um, am I forget I'm forgetting another guy. Well no, I mean I don't know how crazy you want to get during this discussion. Song Yudong. Song Yudong just in the top ten. No, you're good. 
there's one other guy that has an opportunity to enter the top 10 at International Fight Week, and that's Sean O'Malley. So this whole division <laughs> is absolutely on fire right now. That, wow, I did not even realize that. That is very true against Pedro yeah. Munoz. Yeah, so we are in for a fit, like, you know how we try to do the predicting the champions and stuff? Oh, shit. <laughs> Doing this division, yeah. this division could go a million different directions. And, um, you know, I've been seeing a lot of people while you're on it talk about Corey Sandhagen fighting uh, Song Yidong, and I think that that is oh. an exceptional fight. Oh, It's kind of the perfect, since Yidong's not fighting Marab, it's that perfect step back, but still, like, absolute killer. <laughs> yeah, Song dude. Yidong. That's next Yidong up. Just retired uh, Marlon Marais, and, yeah. you know, has looked really good even before that. I think that's a... Uh, yeah, this God. this division is as close as you can be to overtaking 155. It is as close. And as I would argue the top ten is more exciting right now. It's, right now, it, it's more fresh. It can flip. Yeah, it can flip. I mean, again, you know, it, once lightweights start getting matched up, it's going to flip probably. But yeah, you know, mm. at least in this division, you don't have Conor McGregor being talked about by the champion every two days. No offense, yeah. Charles. I love you, but right, right. You know, I, I heard that come out again that Charles wants to counter fight. I again. saw. And I'm like, can we just please, please stop? <laughs> just, I understand the money is there, but just please make it stop my, yeah. for my fandom. Um, but that's that's Utah, by the way, Salt Lake City, man. They're Are we going to go to Utah? <laughs> we should just take a trip to Utah. I looked up. I actually looked up <laughs> what the drive is. Oh, uh, it's like a 24 hour drive. <laughs> I realized ge- I, geography failed. The school system failed me. The public nope. school system failed a lot of people. Yeah. But it failed me because I somehow made it through with pretty good grades, went to a public university, yeah. graduated with a, a bachelor's degree, and I was shocked. I was taken aback. <laughs> By the drive it would take to get to Utah. I thought Utah was like, I thought you just kind of went past Minnesota. It's like right there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're like, shit, that's all the way over yonder over there. I'm like, man, when Josh said he wanted to go to Utah, that was like a commitment. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, Yeah, I don't know. But it's uh, Salt Lake City. And there's rumors that they might try to do Sterling Sanhagen or Sterling TJ as the co-main on that card. Could you believe that? Wow. What's going on over there in Utah? Salt Lake City. <laughs> There's a lot of Mormons over there from what I hear. Yeah. Man. We'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. Well, last one here. September 3rd, UFC Whoops. Paris. I forgot there was one left. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Don't you forget it either. Mm. Caitlin Chukagian is out of her highly anticipated fight with Manon Fior. In steps... Jessica Andrade. Now, Dominic, mm. you got to have some thoughts on this one because there's a lot of interesting factors here, right? Mm. You got the matchup that we thought we were getting. It's kind of out. This was a big prove-it fight for Manon. Now you get a whole different matchup with Andrade. Andrade coming off of a main event at strawweight that she won. Now she's back at flyweight. Mm. I guess my first question to you, and then I'll let you run wild, brother, is that – uh? Is this are we getting? Is this a fight that you're more excited for now compared to what this matchup was like two minutes ago? Whatever. Absolutely, it's so much better of a fight, man. Because yeah. just Condrage. No offense, Caitlin. <laughs> no, no offense at all, man. No offense at all. 
Caitlin Chikagian is one of the most ultimate gatekeeper yeah. for our title fights in UFC history. But yeah, Jessica Andrade... Keep sucking her dick, dude. Like, Je- Jessica Andrade is that bitch, okay? Oh, she, she does it all. Three weight classes. Just give me a couple weeks and I'll be there. Good thing this is in September. She actually gets a training camp for this. I, I love it. I love. I think it's a much harder test for uh, Mananfio. Faro, damn it. I always fuck her name up. <laughs> I think it tells me more if she beats Jessica Andrade than beating Caitlin Chukagian. I mean, I love this fight. And, you know, I liked Manon uh, versus Caitlin because, you know, she was going to probably get a title fight regardless if she won. But now there's just so much more. I think we're just going to see more opportunities of her being battle tested in this. And that's what mm-hmm. excites me so much about it. And it's still in Paris. Hometown crowd, Jessica Andrade doesn't even give a shit. She's like, I don't care. I'll go in her backyard. It don't matter. Savage. Yeah, I was pretty excited about this fight. I mean, whether you guys know this or not, Jessica Andrade, probably my favorite women's <laughs> fighter. Like, I'm such a big fan of hers. So any fight she's in is exciting, but it is it does make me nervous. I mean, because Manon is a real threat, in my opinion, in this, in oh, this yeah. division. And she's the kind of matchup that I feel like Andrade could really struggle with. But then you kind of look at Manon's last fight, and there was maybe at least a little bit of some... Yeah. Because who was her last... Her last fight was, was uh, a, Jennifer Maya. Yeah, right? Columbus. And Jennifer Maya did have some success with her grappling, with her clinch game. And, you know, Andrade just is a fucking pit bull. Yeah, man. You just unleash her, and she's... I mean, the strength that she possesses... Power. It's an interesting matchup for Manon. I could see Manon... Just, I could see this being like Anderson Silva versus Chris Levin. Yeah, and I could also see it being like Andrade versus I don't know uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Like I could, Oof. I could really see like I have a feeling that this isn't going to be like a close fight. I think someone one is, way or the other. I think it's one way traffic. It just who's the one swinging the hammer? That's that's the question. I, oh, and it, I mean the question. We'll talk about it obviously in September, but. I mean, first impressions, Andrade comes in and beats Manon. She's right back there for a title fight at two yeah, weight classes. Yeah, you know, that's interesting, right? Because she she would probably get it before Chukagian would, just yeah. the style's more exciting. But, man, she really got her ass kicked by Valentina. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I know Valentina, interesting position now, coming off of that really razor-thin close fight with Santos. I don't know, man. If, if Valentina, I'll be interested to see if Valentina moves up, decides, you know, I'm going to take on the winner of Nunez Pena. Oh, well. Then, I mean, the idea of Santos versus Andrade or Fior for a vacant belt, I actually think is a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty I'm here for fight. it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I understand that, you know, it might not do, I mean, Shevchenko is not even like a huge pay-per-view star. It might not be that kind of fight that, like, appeals to a casual fan yeah but Andrade does have a little bit of something you know she's been there in these big fights for a long time and then you put her against someone like Santos or Santos now with that respect from her fight with Shevchenko going up against Fior who's coming in like I I feel like you have to be excited to see Santos fight again now you know what I mean you have to be but I mean the idea of that being a vacant title fight like yeah that would be a great transition. If Valentina's not going to lose her title to anybody, if she's just going to kind of leave the division, 
which I know we're kind of not we're speculating to happen. Yeah. But I'm just, you know, saying that would be about as good of a transition as you can give because then you have those people fighting it out at the top. Yep. And then you still got these the new way like Blanchfield, like Macy Barber. I mean, I'm not even talking about Casey O'Neill. Yeah. You got all these girls on the way up. So I mean yep. that division could be left in really good hands and Valentina's like, I'm good. Yeah. Very much. Very much. But that's again UFC Paris. That card, man. Top. It did top officially get confirmed today, by the way, for what it's worth. Gone to Ivasa. It Gone is like, to Ivasa and Whitaker yeah. Vittori is supposed to be on yeah. that card. I mean, this. That's probably your top three fights. Boom, 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 right there, and it's yeah. fucking awesome. That's great stuff. Let's get into the rest of UFC on ESPN 27. I think is what it is. That was a fucking mouthful. <laughs> UFC Austin, baby. Oh yeah, there you go. Thank you. UFC Austin. That's so much easier. I just didn't want yeah. to say. I was thinking Vegas. They, yeah, yeah. That's what I think. Here. Yeah. yeah. UFC Austin. Tim Means taking on Big Mouth. Kevin Holland. He's back. He's done being Batman in the streets. It's He's ready to kick some ass in the cage and actually get paid for it. So, yeah. Dominic, your thoughts on uh, this is uh, Kevin Holland's second time out here at welterweight, too, going up against Dirty Bird. Yeah, this is a sick fight. I think this is fun. Tim Means is always in fun fights. I think people forget about just he's a scrappy son of a bitch, man. That and Kevin fight he Holland had with uh, Mike Perry. I always remember that one. Yeah, that's a great fight. And Kevin Holland is, is you know, obviously a great fighter. I love seeing him down at 170. I feel like that is his natural weight class. He fills out a lot better, and he's so big. He was already bigger than middleweights, but now he's much bigger than the welterweights. You know, he's six three, has an eighty one inch reach. He's got a six inch reach advantage in this one. I think Kevin Holland is also much more well rounded than what people think. He likes to strike and whatnot, get into scraps on the feet, but he's a jiu-jitsu ace when it gets to the ground. Tim Means like to scrap and bang it out on the feet. I don't know what's going to happen in this one. I feel like initial thoughts to me, and you'll see in the bet slip, like I lean Kevin Holland in this. It feels like a fight he should win, but Tim Means is also the type of guy that could definitely put a halt to this momentum that Holland has right now at a new weight class, you know? Yeah, you know Tim Means is looking to take this fight to the ground. I mean, he's got good striking, but... He's not going to – that that lack of reach going up against yeah. Holland. Yeah. And Holland just being so fast with his hand speed and everything. And considering the, the – you know, his worst moments have been against guys that have been able to take him down and hold him down. Marvin yeah. Vittori, Derek Brunson. Team Means may not be the wrestler those guys are, but I do think that that would – being the smart veteran he is, that's probably what he's looking to do here. Yeah, I agree. And Kevin Holland's just looking to put on a show, which, you know, for better or worse, should make it a fun fight. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, we'll just see Kevin Holland. I'm believing in him at 170. I think he could be a real threat. Kind of get gain back a lot of that momentum he had in uh, 2020. But um, this is a fight he needs to win if he's legit going to yes. be like that guy here. You know? I agree. Um, next fight, Albert Durayev. Looking oh, to go 2-0 in the UFC, taking on Joaquin Buckley. Dude. Joaquin Buckley coming off of the fight that I thought had a 0% chance to go to distance against Abdul Razak Alhassan. Instead, it was kind of a boring decision. Yeah. Um, Buckley having that guy, the the, the survival specialist, oh, yeah, yeah. in his corner. I'll be curious to see if he does that again. Buckley also – Buckley's had an interesting – series of events since then because then he had the run in with Hamzat and Darren Till the BFFs oh, and um, you know, that, was... that one did not make him look great 
Yeah. Saying he wanted to fight with Darren. Instead, now he's getting Albert Durayev. Now, I have been very high on Durayev coming off the Contender Series. Yeah. I thought he looked great on the show. His debut, I thought, went well. It was in Abu Dhabi, UFC 267. He went up against Roman Kapilov, I believe it's Kapilov. Um, kind of that interesting Roman Kapilov, like a baby face, Russian mm-hmm. striker. Yeah. Such the opposite of the rest of the Dagestani wrestlers that you yeah. see out there. Durayev gets the win there. Joaquin Buckley, 4-2 and two in the UFC. He's had his highs and lows. You know, the high, he had that knockout of the year for the Joeys back in 2020. <laughs> One of the best knockouts in UFC history. Yeah. But he's back on the winning ways. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan win. And... Um, here against Durayev, Dom, he does Buckley does come in as a plus one eighty five underdog, and I think I, I didn't do it, but I think there's a lot of value in Buckley here because as much as I like Albert Durayev, where he has been most most vulnerable in his career is the power shots. There was a clip going around Dom uh, from his time in um, I think it was M One Global. Yeah. Where he got sent to the shadow realm by none other than Ramazan Amiv. Yep. Amiv. That knockout was terrifying to watch. Yeah. And it kind of made me, like, kind of go, hmm, like. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of looked, and all three of Durayev's losses are via KO, TKO. Yep. Walking Buckley showing more wrinkles in his game as of late, showing to be a pretty well rounded fighter. I could see him as long. He has he only has forty percent takedown defense. So for what it's worth, if Durayev gets this fight to the ground, I think Buckley's in for a tough time. It's just Durayev also kind of had the puzzling decision that he almost like wanted to stay standing with Kapilov in his last fight. Yeah, that nearly cost him. He can't so do he that might, here. He might need a bit of a wake up call. Uh, young guy, one and zero in the UFC. Contender series fade, maybe. I'm just throwing some elements out here, Dom. What do you think? I mean, you covered all the bases, and I'm going to touch on a little bit more on the bet slip, but everything you said is insanely accurate. That three losses are all by knockout for Durayev, but he's won 10 fights in a row, hasn't even lost a fight since 2014. <clears throat> Buckley showing more wrinkles in the game, showing that he's. You know, obviously still down for a fun scrap, but that he will implement a smarter strategy. I think he will get taken down. You know, it's it's one of those, like, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. To me, can he get up? That's going to be the thing. And if he can, that's going to be a, a very eye-opening situation for Albert Durayev because he's not used to seeing that. And if he does choose to strike for whatever reason or gets caught up in the moment, that's the last place he wants to be is at yeah. distance with Joaquin Buckley. Completely agree. This fight is probably the, the next one here. It's going to be the most under-the-radar fight on this card, and it might be the most high-level fight, and that's including the main event. Yeah. And the lightweight division, Demir Ismegulov taking on Garam Kutaladze, a couple of mouthful names there. They're a combined 5-0 and in the UFC. Demir 4-0 and in the UFC. The activity has been a little sporadic, yeah. but he does come in with wins over Joel Alvarez and Tiago Moises, which I think are very impressive and mm-hmm. still hold up very well. Yeah, But, Dominic, but Kudaladze has the best win out of, all, out of both guys, even though it's his only UFC fight. 
And it was a split decision win over Matos Gamrot, who is yeah. in our main event next week uh, against Armand Saryukin. So I'm curious your thoughts on this fight. These guys are combined 35-3 and three in their <laughs> professional MMA careers. Yeah. I mean, this is a really high-level fight. You have a guy that's maybe been more proven at a UFC level, but then you have a guy like Kudalaze who came in here and kind of broke down <laughs> broke down any barriers right away by the end of win over a now-ranked Matos Gamera. Yeah, just when you thought you knew that next wave of lightweights, they were finally starting to trickle into that back half of the top 15. They were filling out. Then there's there there's these two boys right here. They're gonna go head to head uh, Saturday night. It is super high level. It's very under the radar. Both fighters are under the radar. I'd bet a lot of people listening didn't even know that Ismagulov was four zero in the UFC with wins like Joe Alvarez and um, what was the second Tiago one? I already Moises. forgot. And Tiago Moises, who has been in the rankings before. This is going to be a great fight. I don't know what to expect. I didn't want to touch it from a betting perspective. I didn't mm-hmm. know if there was going to be a finish. I didn't know if it was going the distance. I didn't know who the hell was going to win. But I think it is a great, great fight. The people of Austin, Texas, buckle in because I think you're going to enjoy that one. RoboCop, Gregory Rodriguez taking oh, on shit. taking on the, the Cuban Cuban Missile Crisis. crisis. Julian Marquez, another nickname off here. I, has and, Julian ever been in a fight where there's not another great nickname standing across from him? I mean, let's be yeah, honest. Never forget Mackie Patolo Coconut Bombs. Yeah, also, the Beverly Hills Ninja. Fight, yeah, his last fight, Smiling Sam Alvey. I mean, Smiling Sam, Sam yeah. yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Um, so this fight, Gregory Rodriguez, Julian Marquez. I'm struggling with this fight, Dominic, because I really like both guys. Yeah, both guys have been very exciting parts of a lot of these fight night cards. Julian Marquez, biggest moment actually on the pay per view UFC 258, where he took on Mackie Patolo, got a huge submission when it come from behind submission win. He gets on the mic. He says, Miley Cyrus, will you be my Valentine? Now, did he drop the ball with that whole thing? Because then he was like, well. You know, because Miley's like, well, if you shave my uh, face into your chest or whatever, then I'll do it. And then he said, well, if you do that, then I need you to, like, do this. Yeah, can't be given ultimatums, yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry, uh, Julian. You You had her, you lost her. (laughs) You lost her. But the guy's good. The guy's very good. Both these guys are very good. And um, I'm just having a hard time with this fight because I think it's a great form of matchmaking. But both come in with strong strengths, but also some pretty glaring holes in their game, wouldn't you say? Yeah, this is interesting because Marquez has a 100% finish rate. He's got six knockouts. He's got three subs. Gregor Rodriguez gets into wars, man. Just look at the last two fights, the one with Jung Young Park, and then the most recent one when he had... um, Armin Petrosian. Yes, that fight was super sick, by the way. So both of those were insane. Also, I feel like like Rodriguez kind of got screwed in that decision as well. I I agree. And many people didn't think that was going the distance. So if you're betting if it's going to go the distance or not, be careful because this could be one of those fights where two guys are just so damn durable that they won't go down. I think that's what could happen here. You know, Julian Marquez hasn't fought since April of last year. That's a relatively long layoff. Gregory's been pretty active in his three fights in the UFC. He was on the Contender Series as well. Both these guys have been, uh, you know, both in their primes, both around the same size. I think this is a super fun fight. I think there's implications for both these guys. The, The marketability behind them being that they are guys that go in and finish fights or die trying. So I think it's going to be good scrap, man. But I just, again, it's one of those two. I don't really know what to expect, but... We did take a little sprinkle that you guys will see in a second. Yeah, very true. Uh, headlining our prelims, Adrian Yanez is back. 
minus 300 favorite. Yeah. Going up against Tony Kelly at plus 235. Uh, Dominic, I think while I like Yanez in this fight, I am just going to say that I feel like these odds are a little misleading. And dare I say that some of the odds for this fight come from maybe some people's personal distaste yeah. for Tony Kelly. Yeah. You know, he's kind of had some bad headlines after his corner work for his, is it girlfriend, Andrea Lee? I think so. Yeah, he he had some not very good things nice to things. say about yeah. Yeah, the, the opponent. And um, because of that, he I mean, I, I do think that Yanez should be the favorite here. But part of me just wonders if, like, since Yanez is so likable. Yeah, a lot of people like Yanez. Then I wonder if, like, that people are hammering Yanez simply out of, like, a, you know, that they really Fandom. like him. They want him to know. win. I might, be, I might be pulling at straws for that one. But I will say that I think Tony Kelly is a real challenge here. Oh, yeah. Oh, Dude, yeah. Is it the fight that I would have picked next for Yanez? No. I feel like Yanez was ready to kind of move into move borderline top 15. Yep. And Tony Kelly, I wouldn't say is there, but Tony Kelly did finish Randy Costa. That's a mutual win for the two of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tony Kelly... Eight and two, he did lose his debut in the UFC, but besides that, it's looked really good. Um, three inch height advantage here. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting fight. Uh, again, I lean Yanez, but I think that uh, Tony Kelly. It wouldn't shock me if Tony Kelly gets a win here. Yeah, Yanez is such that like super crisp, technical, but powerful at one thirty-five striker. But Kelly is just a guy that makes it scrappy, can make it you know down on the ground and grapple and whatnot too. It's definitely a dangerous fight for Yanez, especially like it does feel like he's fighting backwards. I mean, he just fought Davy Grant, and that was a fight of the night, if I'm not mistaken. So it was a close one. Don't get me wrong, uh, but yeah, I think he should have been fighting up. We'll see. I think he really wants to come out and make a statement. A lot of like MMA Twitter and whatnot, as no already alluded to, are behind him in this fight. We'll see if he can live up to the hype. Our second fight of the night, Dominic. This one has the recipe to be one of the weirdest yeah. fights I've ever watched. Phil Hall's looking to get back on track, coming off of his knockout loss to Curse uh, Chris Curtis. Oh me. yeah, yeah. Taking on the protege of one Daniel Cormier, Darren Wynn. Dominic, the story, as with every Darren Wynn fight, he is. In the middleweight division at 185 pounds, and he is five foot six inches tall yeah. and only has a 70 inch reach. How much of a uphill battle is it going to be going up against a man five inches taller with a seven and a half inch reach advantage? And Phil Halls, who's I mean three and one in the UFC, eleven and three overall, a beast of a man in his own right. Yeah, I think Phil Halls is just right on the cusp, potentially finding that potential that I think people saw after the Contender Series, you know? I think he's so close. Darren Wynn's a dangerous opponent because you know his game plan. You know what he's going to do. He comes in, he wants to grapple you, and he does not get tired in pursuing those takedowns. But with the size difference, with Phil Halls being able to keep it more at reach, or at least you would think he can keep it at reach, it could, on paper you think it's a relatively easy fight. I've seen a lot of people taking Halls with ease on the bet slips this week, and while I am picking him, when we'll talk about it in a second, it didn't come without some, you know, worries. Exactly. Yeah. I, and, you know. I have the same exact yeah. feeling as you because everything points to Phil Hall should win this fight, that he should get back on track. Maybe even you know? by emphatic fashion, too. Yes, because Phil Hall's 
it, it seems like the problems that Phil Halls runs into are more in his inability to take like a big shot. Yeah. You know, that, yes. that's, that's, I believe he got, he got knocked out on the contender series. Was that against, against Julian Marquez, I believe. He did fight. I think they it fought. wasn't. Yeah. I think Julian Marquez knocked him out on the contender series. Yeah, I believe so. And then he had knocked out against Chris Curtis. And I mean, he's getting knocked out pretty, I mean, it's, he's getting out cold. Like yeah. it's, it's, so his ability to take a lot of damage is maybe in question right now, but the guy has the skill set to be an absolute beast. And you look at his four UFC fights, Dom. No easy fights here. He's got yeah. his three wins: Jacob Malkoon, who's a blanket. Then you got Nasruddin Imavov, who's a very underrated fighter in that division, ranked fighter now, and he got a decision win over him. Then he got a decision win over Kyle Dawkins, who's on yeah. this very card. Yeah. Uh, and of course, he got KO'd by Chris Curtis. Uh, but Chris Curtis is really good. Darren Wynn, despite his physical limitations and the fact that pretty much everybody's like, why is this guy fighting at 185 pounds? Yeah. He has done a lot more with it than... You, you would know, expect. You would expect, and that I think people give him credit for. Yeah. It's not always the most exciting. Again, he's 2-2 two and two in the UFC. But even before that, he was on the infamous, uh, fun fact, the infamous Golden Boy MMA card... Uh, Liddell versus Ortiz 3. Really? If you remember that. He was on there against Tom Lawler of UFC fame, and he got a decision victory there. He has a decision victory over Eric Spicely and Antonio Arroyo, and then he has losses to Darren Stewart and Gerald Mearchart. So his best competition at beat him, and then obviously the competition that's maybe, you know, Eric Spicely, not a bad opponent, but yeah. Antonio Arroyo... Antonio Arroyo, that, that fight was so funny to watch because, I mean, it was a really boring fight. I mean, just the worst. Yeah. But Antonio Arroyo, I believe, is over six feet tall. He's even bigger just, than Halls. Yeah, it was yeah, crazy. Because Halls, like, height-wise isn't exactly – like, he's not one of the taller guys in this division. Yeah. But Antonio Arroyo is, like, 6'3", 6'4", I think, or maybe yeah. less than that. But it was just so weird to watch him get ragdolled by Darren Wynn. But that's a possibility, Dom. I don't think it is. I think this is a tough matchup for Wynn against Phil Halls. I think he does better with the taller, lankier opponents of light heavyweight. But um, there is a, a – in my mind, I can see it now, Darren Wynn getting a victory by Russell fucking. I can oh, see yeah. It. You see, and I wanted to say so much, oh, well, Phil Halls has that win over Malcoon. It's copy-paste, right? Well, yeah. he knocked him out in 18 seconds, so we didn't really get to see him even get tested. It's very true. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the bet slip. We hinted at a lot of picks that we are going to make, so let's go ahead and put them out there. Dominic pulling up the graphic. You know it. Good. You know it. He's wearing the Hardy Boys shirt. I know you guys probably can't really see it, but in support of the, our boys, hopefully Jeff is doing all right. I know he's had a tough little incident pop up, but we're, we're hoping the best for him. Thoughts and prayers to the Hardy Boys. Absolutely. So the bet slip, Dominic, and you know I want to get I want people to uh, I want people to let us know their thoughts on the poster. Um, I I was wondering I couldn't figure out Dominic, and maybe I'm just stupid, but what I, but I was like okay the, I don't understand like the whole font thing going on like where the words are like uh, rapping. Yeah, it's it's kind of stupid. I mean that's the part where I'm like what the fuck is this? don't need that. I didn't, and I was. But I was like, what are the what are they what look are they going for there? I didn't realize that's like an underwater look that they're going for. Am I oh. stupid for not recognizing that? No, because I didn't notice it either. But now do you kind of see what I'm what mm. I'm saying? 
A little bit, yeah. I dig like it. Those two, I mean, I they're, see they're it. facing off underwater, I guess, like Marco Polo. Yeah, even though we're fighting in Austin, Texas, but yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, but the rest, I mean, I do think a cool picture going on here. They cool should have photocropped some, like, cowboy hats on them or something. I don't know. <laughs> so let's get into the singles. Um, we'll just do what we did last time, just go down, and whenever it's our turn, it's our turn. Yep. I will start on our behalf. Two units on Julian Marquez, money line. Me and Dom both riding with the underdog at plus 150. Uh, we like both guys, but truthfully, I look at that fight as much more closer than those odds tell you. I'm shocked that yeah. Marquez was. I actually figured it might be the re, not the reverse, but I thought Marquez might be a slight favorite. Like if I, I were agree. making the odds, I probably would have made him a slight favorite. I just feel like the holes. In Rodriguez's game have been more apparent. Like he's been in some exciting fights, gotten some exciting wins, but he's like you know the Junyong Park fight. He really had the battle through. I mean, he was literally two seconds away from being out. Oh, it was insane. Yeah. I mean, and that shows some resolve that he has and his ability to take a punch. But you know the Petrosian fight, a war. Yeah. He, I thought he did enough to win, but again, he's. He hasn't quite been able to put it together for a full three-round fight yet. Marquez, I would say, has done that more. Yes, the Mackie Patolo fight, kind of similar situation to Jung Young Park, getting beat. He has a big comeback victory. But I think we've seen more from Marquez up to this point. Yeah. To where at at plus 150, in a fight that we kind of value as a pick-em, I think it's great value. Exactly, man. And I just got to ask, like, what do you think? He hasn't fought since April of last year. Sometimes layoffs are bad, but sometimes they're good. Julian Marquez is still young. We could see an improved Marquez, for all we know, coming out here, where in the meantime, his opponent has been taking beatings in his last two fights. So I'll be curious to see how the layoff plays out for him, too. This this is a good point. We never really know how those two elements, you know, sometimes the guy who's just staying active, even if they're taking punishment, fares better and sometimes it's the guy who takes the layoff and lets himself recover that does better yeah yeah i will just say marquez's last fight being against sam alvey was kind of a weird one sam alvey even at that time was probably not ufc caliber anymore yeah but at least i mean marquez did make pretty quick work of him so um yeah i don't know it's it should be a very fun fight though i don't see how it won't be hopefully anyway my next money line play here. I'm going Jeremiah Wells' money line. I, I was very pleasantly surprised when I woke up today and saw that he was no longer a slight favorite. He was actually the betting favorite as of yesterday. It was kind of a pick and fight. Still very close, but now he is the slight underdog against. Um, why am I forgetting his opponent? Oh, name? it's Court McGee. Court McGee. I, I was thinking of. You know who? What name for some reason kept popping in my fucking head? It, it was the guy that uh, Court McGee beat, that R- Ramiz Brahimaj. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know why the harder name was coming to my head. But, <laughs> yes, he's going up against Court McGee. Court McGee has so much experience on Jeremiah Wells, and I will admit that. Court McGee, 10-9 and 9 in the UFC, 19 fights compared to Jeremiah Wells, 2-0. and 0. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge advantage. And in terms of just their professional experience mcgee 31 total fights jeremiah wells 13 yeah nearly triple so for me though i think jeremiah wells has looked exceptional in his first two fights yeah the blood diamond fight like 
there was some intrigue in Blood Diamond, but oh, uh, that's what it was. Okay, kind of a I forgot. Uh, but his debut in the UFC was against Warley Alves. Yep, and I would argue, Dom, that Warley Alves I think is a better fighter at this point than Court McGee is. So to get that win and to knock out Warley Alves, when that's not even really Jeremiah's game, said a lot about who he is already in the UFC. Yeah, and for Court McGee. He's a solid guy, but, you know, he's on back-to-back wins. The Brahimaj win was pretty impressive. Very, yeah. But you go before that, he was losing three straight. He had lost to Carlos Condit, Sean Brady, which no no harm, no foul there. And then Diego Lima, who's now retired. Um, I just think Court McGee, he may have some sort of IQ advantage that could maybe help him out kind of you know, experience advantage that can yep. definitely play a factor. But I value Wells's athletic gifts more in this fight. And his finishing capabilities, which Brahim or uh, Court I keep on Did it again. Court McGee has only been finished actually one time in the in the UFC. Wow. Which feels like I'm kinda of talking against my, my pick. That's all right, but, that's all right. But in decisions he's only eight and eight. I mean, yeah. it's not like he's dominating decision. Wells can still win that method as well. Yes. yes. I just think that Wells, he can do it on the feet. He can do it on the ground. I think he's more going to be more aggressive. I think he's much more naturally gifted at this point. Got more obvious, uh, you know, genetic capabilities. What am I looking for? Athleticism. Yeah. Um, plus 100. Take my money. I like it. I like it. And I felt the same way when you say take my money because when I saw Joaquin Buckley at plus 180, I was all over it. I was scared. It took me a while to add it to my you know Excel sheet where I keep track of everything because I realized that Albert Duarev is very good. He is a very, you know, not he's not one-dimensional. He's well-rounded. But you know what his path to victory is, and if he implements it, you're probably screwed. But I just feel like Buckley is starting to put his game together more and more, fight by fight, win or lose, you know. And uh, especially after that last one, I know it was kind of a snoozer with Al Hassan, but he did show wrinkles that we hadn't seen before. No, already alluded to that. Um, And it's the power, too. If this fight is on the feet for any amount of time, Buckley has the advantage, and all it takes is one shot, and we've seen that from him. Durayev's chin does not hold up well against the power. We've seen that. All three of his losses are by knockout. And two guys that really aren't even as good as strikers as Joaquin Buckley either, especially like in terms of when I say not as good, the power. So Buckley can shut anybody's lights off. And honestly, I think he can win over the course of the distance as well. I think he can get a decision win. If he you know, gets to the ground, I think he can get up. He may even reverse positions and get a little ground and pound himself. I just think he has more pass to victory at plus 180. That's a beautiful, beautiful number to take somebody that's so dangerous. Give it to me. Mm-hmm. I got 1.65 units, and as you can kind of tell at the minus 165 rate, I'm, again, toying with the unit sizes. I'm taking a page out of GC's book from GC and Helwani. Um, I'm doing 1.65 units that way. If it, ha- if it cashes, I win one unit. We'll see how this goes. Um, I did that for any minus odds that I put in place. And then anything that was plus money, I just did one unit. So that was the strategy this week. Um, trying to trying to just toy with some stuff because, you know, coming off a of minus, 
a lot of a units. Lot. <laughs> yeah. Week, uh, you know, it, it was necessary to take another look. Yeah. Um, but I got Ramos Chavez that fight to go the distance at minus 165. Uh, I like this fight. I like Ricardo Ramos. He has been a bit inconsistent in the UFC. But what has been consistent is Danny Chavez, three fights in the UFC, all three decisions, one win, one loss, one draw. Yeah. The guy's done it all as long as it's going the distance. Uh, Ricardo Ramos, five decisions in his nine UFC fights. Uh, typically, if he is... Uh, he's two and two, basically, in fights that don't go to distance. Uh, two knockout losses for him. Uh, he does have one sub win in the UFC and one knockout win. I just... I'm t- I'm, it's the game of odds here, right? At minus 165. I think this is a fight that very much could go to distance and very much will just because uh, the way these styles clash. Yeah. Ricardo Ramos is going to be the aggressive of the two, but even he is not consistently aggressive. That's kind of his – it's kind of where he falters sometimes. Right. So right. Uh, it's an interesting fight, but one that I think no matter who wins, they're seeing the judges' scorecard. So had to take it. I like it. And then next one, also 1.65 units. That's always nice. You know, minus 165 again. This is a bet that I didn't actually place the first time this fight came around, but I'm kind of glad I got a second chance here. <laughs> Cerrone Lozon in our coming event. I have it going under two and a half rounds. This was slightly better odds than if I took that fight to not go to distance. So um, It's great odds, was, in my opinion. Yeah, man. I mean, that was the whole reason for me doing it. To, for it to go not For it to not go to distance was minus 200. So you're getting quite a bit better odds for just under two and a half. I look at this as being more of like an under one and a half type fight, if yeah. I'm being honest. But I recognize you got these two old souls here. For all we know, we're getting a decision, a war. I mean, you just never know. But both guys have finished much more fights than they've went to a decision in. And at this point in their careers, they can't really take the punishment. But they can still deliver it. So exactly. I think that, uh, that that's a good recipe for that fight ending pretty quick. Yeah, and essentially copy and paste what Noah just said to my la- the last single play <laughs> on the best slip here. It's Cerrone Lozon does not start round three. That's right, people. I'm still branching out. I'm still finding new bets on that DraftKings app. There's so much shit to look around for on there. I like this one. I've not played anything like this. I've had relatively good success with uh, fight prop slash over-under, so I figured I'd take it a step thir- further. We're going to go to not start round three. I believe seven out of, or six out of ten for both guys in their last ten fights have not went to a round three. As Noah said, they're both getting older. They're both on layoffs. I just feel like they're going to come in. They're going to go guns a-blazing, and I think someone does get finished. I kind of essentially just partnered with Noah at under two and a half. He's got two and a half more minutes to work with than myself, but I figure we can both cash and ride off into the sunset with that method there. So I like that one a lot. Yeah, I, I contemplated when I saw your uh, bet pop up because I didn't see that when I was going through. See, Dom always digging a little deeper. I, I was tempted to actually change my pick, but um, I, I, I'll, I'll take the the minus 165, 40, the minus 40 difference and give myself just that extra half round just in case. So. I, I will say one more thing quickly before the parlay piece, and there was – to not start round two, so you're if you're anticipating a uh, first round finish, I believe for the fight in there it was plus two hundred. I was so close, 
so close to picking that just because of Lozon success. Just sprinkle, you yes, know? for those that are looking to find value somewhere, if you're struggling, there is a little bit there if you're interested because yeah. I think it is going to be a violent fight. Very true. Now on to the parlays and well, this is gosh, dangerous. Yeah, look, we haven't learned a damn thing. Now, no. let's look at now. Let's break this down a little bit, Dom. Six parlays. Woo. All of them to two legs. Yep. Which I think is a sign of growth for us. <laughs> yes, this is true. A sign that we're smartening up a little bit. Now, yeah. we are doubling down on parlays, which is dangerous. I mean, yeah. for me, I'm pretty sure, again, the Cincinnati Reds had a better start to their season than <laughs> I've had up to this point with parlays. Yeah. But um, when the value's there, you got to go for it. Yeah, 100%. For me, it starts with uh, my money line parlay, two units, Cody Stamen and Adrian Yanez, 1.82 units. It's minus 182 on the odds. Cody Stamen taking on Eddie Wineland. Yeah. Eddie Wineland, six and nine in the UFC, despite the fact he's had a great career, fought for a title at one point in time. He was really good with WEC, so he kind of came in at the tail end of his prime. But, uh, you know, who he is now, he is not that same guy that fought for a title back in the day. He he is very much a diminished version of that. You know, you saw him, he had a highlight reel, lost to Sean O'Malley and whatnot. Cody Stamen's not, he, he's he's been on a tough run. He never I mean, has quite put it together. Cody I mean, Stamen yeah. has lost three fights in a row. But you look at the matchup, yeah. and Cody Stamen's just a, a, a great wrestler, a great grappler. I think he's going to give Eddie Wineland a lot of trouble with that. I I was close, Dom, to doing like some sort of Cody Stamen by decision, but I knew that if I did that, it's going to fucking. Yeah, you know, I had a he's couple. Gonna, of he's going to get he's going to get like a last second submission win, and yeah, you know, it's just not going to be good. Adrian Yanez, look, I still think that fight's a little bit closer than what the odds are telling me, but I still value Yanez as one of the bigger favorites on this card that I trust. Combining two of the bigger favorites that I trust here, Stamen Yanez. I think both. I think Yanez, especially, just bigger fights ahead. He's fought better competition than who Tony Kelly is at this point, and I think that says a lot about what we're going to see from him here. Minus one eighty-two feels good. Feel good about it. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing I will say for all these parlays. I do feel really good about them. I really took a different approach this week for me. So. I guess, are we just going left row, right row? So I'm going to go three straight parlays here. So I was doing a lot of, like, mix and matching. How are the odds looking with these two, with these two, with these two? I was building some that had three legs and four legs. Obviously, those get me to plus money, but it's like, is it worth the risk, right? You know what I'm saying? I was trying to prioritize my reward with as low risk as possible. That's kind of what I went with this. So I'm just going to start with that first one. Money line parlay. These are all money line. Two legs apiece. First one, minus 133. Ricardo Hamos, Adrian Yanez. Uh, good thing. You know, and I, again, always on the same page lately. Maybe it's to our detriment because we haven't been winning much lately. But but we should just bet against each other. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. But um, I really like Ramos, actually. Uh, ideally, he wins a decision for Noah's sake up there with the 165. Uh, play that he did earlier, but I just think he's the better well-rounded fighter. He's fought way better competition. Danny Chavez is just kind of hit or miss. Like Noah said, he's 1-1-1. One, one, and one. When you're in there with better competition, you have more routes to victory And Ramos. I think he gets it done, really, in all three areas of this fight. I think it's a really good performance from him. 
Adrian Yanez, we've talked about him a few times now. Weird that he's fighting Tony Kelly. It's going to be a scrappy fight. I don't think he's going to get him out of there easy. Dare I say, I think this fight goes the distance, and there's pretty good odds on that too if you're looking for it. But I think straight up he does win. He's the better fighter on the feet. I think he's well-rounded enough to put up a fight on the ground if it gets there. I really like the potential of Adrian Yanez. The next one, we go up a little bit. It's minus 164. Cody Stamen, the biggest favorite on the card at minus 550. And Kevin Holland. I'm going to start with Holland because Noah's already talked about Cody. I think he is looking great at 170. I liked what I saw in the Oliveira fight. Not that it came easy. That was a scrappy fight in its own right. But I just think at this point in his career, Kevin Holland is still better than Tim Means. I think he puts up a good fight. But honestly, I still see Kevin Holland coming out and shining uh, like he typically does in some of these matchups. Cody Stamen, he's due for a win. It's a weird match that they're putting him up against Eddie Wineland because mm. I just feel like Cody's better everywhere. Yes, Wineland's been there, done that. He's fought a lot of guys. But Cody Stamen's resume is pretty stacked too. Whether he's winning or losing, he's fought a lot of competition. I think he gets the job done there. And then my third and final parlay and my final bet for me personally is the, mm, the riskiest one, obviously, and it's because it's a minus 104. I did go Phil Hall's. I think he's just so much bigger than Darren Wynn. If he can just stay away from the takedowns, I don't see how he loses this fight. I think he could potentially even come out and shine and knock out Darren Wynn. And then I went with Jasmine Jazuda Vicious. She's already won me money once this year when I picked her as an underdog against Kay Hansen. That was basically free money. I don't understand why she was such a big underdog for that fight. I think she gets it done again. It's against Natalie Silva. She's making her UFC debut. I will say... If you're kind of doubting me here, thinking, ooh, this is risky, well, Silva is coming off of six straight wins, all via submission, but it's in jungle fight. It's against competition that is not quite up to par with Jasmine Jazuda Vicious and who she has already fought. She won on the contender. She beat Kay Hansen in her debut. I think she's better everywhere. She's better on the feet uh, and, and better in the clinch. I don't think she gets into trouble if it's on the ground, and I think she can get top position when she's down there too. So minus 104. Little risky, but damn it, I love it. Man, no respect for jungle fight. I mean, I know a lot of talent comes out of there. Don't get it wrong. I mean, come on, but no, I, I get, I get your point. I, I was a bit, guys, I was a bit shocked when Dominic sent me his bet slip yeah. today, and I saw the the parlays the way he was doing it. I do think it's probably the smarter bet than to do like two, three leg parlays because that's probably what. Dominic would have done last week. <laughs> it's just done two different three money line parlays, and yeah. um, I think this is the better route. We'll see. Just because I think that doesn't mean shit, because I'm terrible at this. But <laughs> for what it's worth, I think it's. Uh, I, I like where our heads are at this week. We're really trying to switch up and find success somewhere. We're trying, yeah. man. Yeah. We're digging. These next two parlays, I I I definitely like. But these are the two that if there were if there were a couple plays that I thought might not cash, then I'd probably point to these. But that's kind of what you get when you're getting these kind of odds. Plus 111. I got Buckley Durayev inside the distance. I know Albert Durayev, first fight in UFC was a decision victory. You go to um, Buckley's last fight, also a decision victory. But when you look at their guys, these guys' careers, it, it doesn't necessarily paint that, that picture. Durayev, nine submissions in his career. Uh, that's all he does is really submit guys. Joaquin Buckley, 10 knockouts. Uh, he's knocked people out left and right in the UFC. 
I think these two have such strong advantages over the other that someone is going to make a splash here. And really Couldn't agree more. Go for yeah. it. And I was very close to to tag teaming with Dom and Joaquin Buckley. I mean, yeah. I really like Durayev, but I think it's a bad matchup for him. In I agree, man. Fight. But I also did. I, maybe it's just because I like him so much. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to bet against him. But inside the distance, I think it's a pretty fair play. Second line, Phil Hall's money line again. Phil Hall should win this fight. He has most discernible advantages outside of, I guess, the wrestling, yeah. which is a pretty big advantage for someone who leans on that as much as Darren Wynn to have. But I don't think that Phil Hall's is again the type of fighter, the body type. To where, you know, I don't think Darren Wentz necessarily going to have an easy time getting those takedowns. Phil Hall's not exactly like this super tall, lanky, light heavyweight that's going to struggle with maybe having such a... Like, sometimes we look at size and reach advantages as being in favor of the taller, bigger fighter. Yeah. But when you have a guy like Darren Wynn, who is so good at keeping a low base and getting takedowns... You saw, like, against Antonio Arroyo, Arroyo would have probably preferred to be 10 inches shorter in that fight. Yeah, because Darren Wynn just grabs a hold of something. Just the base is just much better for someone like him. I think Phil Halls, though, with that 7.5-inch reach advantage is going to really give it to Darren Wynn here on the feet and have enough strength and just defensive capabilities in terms of the grappling to keep it from going there. Last parlay. Uh, now, this one I'm in, interested to hear you talk about. So, Ismay Gulov, Kudaladze fight does go to distance. I think that these are two very smart fighters. These are two guys who, again, haven't been the most active, but are still like these Pandora's box type guys that lightweight where you just you know that one of these guys is due for a big breakout. Yeah. But I also think that they're so smart that they're going to be a bit cautious of the other's capabilities here. And I see this fight definitely going to distance because of that. Um, for what it's worth, I mean, again, five UFC fights for these two combined. All five have went the distance. Yep. Um, the second leg, main event, Calvin Cater, uh, Josh Emmett. I also have this fight to go to distance. And it's all the statistic I said earlier plays a part in it. Only one top current top ten featherweight has been finished in the last three. Years. That's still that's fucking nuts. But then you look at these two. These two guys are fully capable of getting finishes. They do it a lot. They are very good fighters. But also, like I said, both ten UFC fights both have six decisions, so they're yeah. actually more heavily leaning to decisions, especially now that they're fighting when they get to the top level competition. And it's not only because. You know, it's not necessarily because of any lack of finishing capability they possess, but it's the exact a lot of their matchups are against these guys who can take punishment. And that's what you're getting here. Yeah. Both guys not only dish punishment with the best of them, they absorb it better than almost anybody else in, in, in the whole uh, division, anybody else in the whole UFC. So I think we're getting an absolute war here. It's always kind of risky when you're doing a fight to not go to distance or, excuse me, a fight to go to distance and it's a five-round fight, and especially a fight like this with two action fighters. But I don't know. I just I have a hard time seeing a finish here. I really do. Yeah. And um, 
even before I knew that stat about the last three years, really that stat doesn't play much of a factor here for me, Dom. It really doesn't. It's, They're both just so damn durable. It's more the matchup itself, the durability, like you're saying. And, and I do think there's something, honestly, to the fact that it is five rounds, that you might see some conservation on, like, Josh True. Allen. Not going to go for it all with every punch he throws. Yeah. For Calvin Cater, going to look to – do a lot of punches and bunches, a lot of combinations, putting together some nice boxing combinations. But he's probably not going to put everything behind each punch. Right. I think five rounds is what you're going to get. I think it's going to be a very close technical fight. Maybe a bit of like Calvin Cater, Dan Ige, I can see here. It's kind of the fight we're going to get. And that was a great fight. So plus 173 is this parlay. I'd be very happy for that to cash. But, uh, again, I recognize the risk. But, I'm, you know, I don't know what the saying is, but no risk, no reward, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, man. Well, Dominic, that's going to wrap it up for the below average bet slip for this week. And, of course, we got to end things with closing statements. The point of the show where before we send you guys off into the weekend of MMA, we just have to get anything and everything off our chest, whether it be relating to MMA or not. Usually not. So, yeah. Dominic, closing statements. You got any for today? Yeah, I'm hoping everybody out there, or at least definitely are like our U.S. domestic listeners, it's a, it's a bit of a heat wave right now here in the Midwest of the of the country. I hope everybody's staying cool. If you got your pools, get your swimmies on and go swimming. Um, yeah, yeah, stay cool out there, guys. Enjoy this summertime weather, I guess, if you can. If it's not humid, it's bearable. When it's humid, that's when it's not so fun. But stay safe out there. I've got some golf coming up this weekend I'm excited for. It's going to be a good weekend. Lots of fights, lots of sun, lots of golf. Let's do it. I have a confession. This is going to be my... Uh, oh, boy, a confession. <laughs> this is going to be my uh, closing statement for today. Okay, okay. I have begun, so I have a lot. I do a lot of projects. You know, Dominic knows this. I, yeah. I do a lot of ongoing projects. I like to keep myself occupied, entertained. Yeah. So I have a lot of stuff I'm just working on with my Excel sheets and stuff in my personal life. Like, uh, I have an ongoing list where I uh, give a grade to every UFC pay per view, just in history. Just, yeah. So, just cause. Yeah. I mean, I used to have the master Excel sheet. Oh, yeah, uh, I remember. Yeah, that, that sheet got deleted because oh. I oh. said, I, I want to start from scratch. Oh, <laughs> that is something you would do. Only yeah. you would do that. I, I, do, I don't like keeping old spreadsheets, so I delete them. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm starting from scratch. I'm like, well, I'm going to give a grade for every UFC pay-per-view. Okay. Okay, so I'm doing that. Um, I'm also trying to watch a lot of old-time boxing. I'm trying to become more oh. invested in the sports. I've been watching a lot of boxing fights on YouTube and whatnot. Any memorable fights, any really good fights, I have a list of them on Excel. Okay. Um, also, I'm keeping an ongoing list of any stand-up specials that I really like. Okay. Um, that's another project. And um, I'm keeping a list. I'm giving a grade to every season of The Ultimate Fighter. Okay, anyways, so that's going to wrap it up. <clears throat> okay, so. I pop back up. Come on, I know you wanted to say more. So what I said was I, I may or may not be trying to binge watch every season of The Ultimate Fighter. 
Now, is this the show that I gave Dom grief for, you know, having interest in at this point? It's unclear. Right, to be determined. But I decided if I really want to be a true historian of the sport, I got to watch it all. When I've always prided you on being that person, so... And Dominic, I believe you've watched a decent amount of the Ultimate Fighter seasons. Have you a not? good chunk. A good chunk. So this not summer, all of them. So this past summer, I kind of tried to start doing that. I watched the entire first season, which is I mean, that's legendary. Yeah. yeah. So I, I gave that an A-, minus. Yeah. which is probably about as high as we're going to get. <laughs> Reality TV, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's about as high as you're going to get from me. Yeah. Season two, I'm about halfway through. So far, so good. Matt Hughes. Rich Franklin coaches. Mm, mm. But um, it's going to be very interesting when I am somehow going to watch the Pena Nunes season before Dom does. Yeah. So then Dominic's going to have to come on here and be like, Noah, are you on the UFC's payroll? What's going on here? <laughs> so the tables are going to be turned. They're here. turning, yes. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's something I have going on right now. I'm trying to watch all of the Ultimate Fighter and. It's not as hard as I thought it would be, Dom. Like, really, watch. I mean, we're in season two. Like, you know, it's it has time to get harder. But each episode's like forty five minutes. Yeah, they're not terrible. Half of it is half of it's a fight. Yeah. It could be a lot worse. Yeah. Now, I will just say, I watched on season two. There was a fight I was expected to be like a really good fight because it was Marcus Davis. That's his name, right? The Irish hand grenade. Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, dude, I remember that nickname. Marcus Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was going up against Joe Stevenson, who obviously wins the whole season. So I knew he was going to win, but I thought with both guys being so competitive, I thought it'd be a very competitive fight. Joe Stevenson fucked him up. So Joe Daddy, bad. man. He got him in a crucifix and rained down elbows on the face, dude. It was beautiful. Joe so I'm having a good time with the Ultimate Fighter, but just know, people, no matter if I get, whenever I give Dom grief about liking the Ultimate Fighter or you know whatever I give him grief for about you know him, you know being on the UFC's payroll, only liking UFC stuff, just know I'm no better. And that's why we're like peanut butter and jelly. Is it? Is that why? <laughs> That's why, well, I can't. I was gonna say I'm the I'm the Jeff to your Matt, but that's your you and your grandpa's thing. True, so I won't take that from you. You're yeah, the fun fact, people. Uh, Dominic still calls his grandpa Jeff. Yeah, because ever since they were kids, or when well, <laughs> when they were kids, yeah. when Dominic was a kid, big wrestling fan, his grandpa would call him Matt, and Dominic would call his grandpa Jeff. Now, his grandpa, probably after doing it once or twice, stopped calling Dom. Yeah, literally probably no more than twice, yeah. And Dom is still 20 years later. His <laughs> name in my phone is Jeff. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It, the first time he called him Jeff, I said, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> you're like, what? Huh? What, did you Merle? Call, what did you call Merle? You're like, Excuse you're calling me? your grandpa his middle name or what? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Just the more I found out, you know, I already mentioned, I, I revealed on the last closing statement or I don't know if it's closing. Yeah, I think it was. When I was talking about your the way you communicate with your family. Yes, yeah. how funny that, it is. Add me. another wrinkle. Despite you being like, oh, I get all gushy gushy, all yeah. emotional. 
when really when you see Dominic there, he's like a statue and like doesn't really show much emotion at all. But uh, that was another wrinkle to, to yeah. just Dominic's very unique family environment. And uh, for me to act like he his family is somehow unique or weird is very funny because my family's like super fucking weird and you know, it really just like makes you think family. about everybody's family i have hour and a half long conversations on the phone with my mom or dad and you know dominic has heard some it was like my you know, daily two to five minute conversations to noah's once a week but hour and a half to two long conversation yeah, you know yeah. It's just, it, it really, it was honestly, it was very eye-opening to me just to know, like, how unique each of our yeah. situations are, you know what I mean? Yeah, came from the same small town, but still so different, yeah. you know? Good times. I want you guys to think about that as you go through the weekend. Look to look to the person on your left. Look to the person on your right. Know that one of you will be dead in approximately five years. That really took a turn for the worst. And with that, <laughs> I'm Noah Baker. That's Dominic Salee. We're the Below Average Joes. Kids, if you're listening, <laughs> ignore Uncle Noah. Ignore Uncle Noah. We'll see you guys on Monday. All right, we'll see you.